Today on the Toppy Show, Elon Musk to sue Media Matters, but like Kelsey Bull gets less than 150 likes. Vivek tweeting saying it's time to stop saying people of color goes viral. Nikki Haley critiques TikTok for being a Chinese spyware company, but her daughter uses it heavily. Ford to throttle their EV battery production. Best Buy Q3 results are in. American Eagle stock has a little bit of a broken wing. And Toyota Finance being fined $60 million. All of that and much, much more on The Topping Show. Thank you everyone for taking the time to tune in today. Today's episode of The Topping Show is sponsored by Topping Technologies. Topping Technologies is an IT value-added reseller and services company with a special proficiency in IT security. Heck, I see their founder at least twice a day. Gotta say he's quite handsome and brilliant. He's me, you see, that's the joke. If you're an IT leader or a business owner, you can reach the team at sales at toppingtechnologies.com. Also, we're trying to get to 4,000 subscribers by the end of November. So if you could click that button, I would greatly appreciate it. Now, going over to the business part of the podcast, you have Ford to throttle their EV battery production by 40%. Now, this story came to us thanks to Dave Boucher at the Detroit Free Press, which I don't know what's more astonishing, the fact that Detroit still has a newspaper and they say it's free, but you have to pay for it. But word puns aside, it's one of those instances where most companies are starting to figure out the adoption rate for EVs are precipitously declining. Although the governments, don't get me wrong, they're pushing it heavily. It's a de facto ban on the great American invention or perfection of the V8 engine, the internal combustion engine. Well, especially those in the manual transmission, that is the most superior, fun way to drive. I can't recommend that experience enough, but that's just my three cents. It used to be two cents, but four-year high inflation, gotta be three cents. Should be four, but I'm a generous man, just three cents today, though. Still free to click the subscribe button down there, or there. I don't know how your foreign is oriented, but nevertheless, the button is there if you search for it. Now, we have a de facto ban in the automotive industry where the U.S. government is increasing the, basically the point of the tailpipe emissions to such a preposterously absurd high amount, the only way to read the tailpipe fleet averages for the emissions is to make EVs. So that's why all these companies are making EVs. It's not because customers are going out there and really demanding it. There are a couple of those, don't get me wrong, and all 18 of those customers will be probably sorely disappointed when they pay $25,000 to get a new battery for the vehicle. But nevertheless, a lot of these companies are investing billions upon billions of dollars into EVs. General Motors thinks it's going to be their future with Mary Barr, the CEO, saying that Cadillac will be full EV by 2030 and General Motors complete fleetly all EV by 2035. Even though that would probably destroy all the margins that they make on their SUVs and trucks. But nevertheless, that's the direction they're going in. Other manufacturers have followed suit as well, including Ford. Ford recently made an announced that they're going to construct several battery factories in the United States where they can actually construct some of the lithium ion batteries that we, they'll be putting into their vehicles. Now, this comes, again, thanks to Dave Boucher, the Detroit Free Press, and they announced specifically that they are reducing their commitment to its planned Marshall Area EV battery facility by 800 jobs and more than $1 billion, which those will reduce the plant's production capacity by roughly 40%. Now, this announcement represents a direct shift for the company that promised 2,500 20, jobs and $3.5 billion investment when they revealed earlier this year by Ford and Governor Grevin Whitmer. Ford spokesman Mark Truby acknowledged that the company's cuts also certainly mean that the state will reduce the roughly $1.8 billion promised in taxpayer subsidies, subsidies rather, for the mega development. When asked for comment, they said, quote, We've been studying this project for the past couple of months. I think we're all aware EV adoption is growing, and we expect that to continue, actually, but it's not growing at the pace I think ourselves in the industry had expected, unquote. 
which makes sense. Other major automotive companies, such as Toyota, they're doing a pretty big pivot. Toyota, they're investing heavily into hybrid technologies and the batteries are going to be put into those vehicles. If you look at the adoption rates in the United States, what the consumers are looking at, they're much more open to a hybrid technology as opposed to 100% EV, which I always tell people EVs are great if you want a luxury toy. It's one of those instances where one, well, the detriment why I don't personally want to buy an EV, one, they only have two pedals or sometimes one pedal. There's no such thing as main transmission for them, also known as three pedals and the most fun you can ever have in a vehicle, but also it's like a smartphone. And someday, don't get me wrong, materials, technologies, and engineering is a fascinating topic in and of itself and a huge area of innovation in the United States. But as of right now, the technology we have, they're basically like smartphones. They're disposable. Only one manufacturer can work on it, AKA the person you buy it from, such as Tesla, Ford, or GM. And again, the batteries go bad. So at the end of the day, the batteries will cost between $7,000, dollars $25,000. As opposed to if you get a good old internal combustion engine, which if it's a Toyota or a Honda, it will last darn near a quarter of a century and a million miles. But you also, if you need to repair it, it's better for the environment, in my belief, because again, a traditional internal combustion engine is just standard metals. You just drain the oil out. You take the metals, you can melt it down and make new things. With the core of an EV vehicle, that's mostly lithium ion, which if you do IT, IT recycling, that is one of the most difficult things to recycle. There are places opening up to facilitate that growing need, but it's still extremely expensive and much more dangerous as opposed to lead acid batteries, which are darn near infinitely recyclable. And yes, you have to wear a hazmat suit for those because it's lead exposure, of course. But nevertheless, it's one of those issues where the resources aren't catching up and the demand is, I'm very pessimistic in terms of the adoption of EVs, especially in the short term as Americans are starting to tighten their belt, which is a tremendous difficult thing because most Americans are overweight, unfortunately. But what's going to last your family 10, 20 years? It won't be an EV. Now, anecdotal experience, my family has a 2001 Honda Accord. They purchased it new in 2001. It's, or I guess technically 2000 because it's 2001 year mom. But nevertheless, it still runs because it's a good old fashioned Honda with an internal combustion engine. So when you're looking for the best ROI, that's usually what I'm looking for. And that's the best option of the technology we currently have today. Now, Trubal also said that Ford initially anticipated the factory would produce 35 gigawatt hours worth of batteries annually, enough to equip 400,000 vehicles. Now the company expects that to be about 20 gigawatt hours, representing roughly 42% reduction in output, approximately enough for 230,000 vehicles, which again, would still be a huge sales figure. And the total number of those vehicles is going up. I just believe the adoption rate at which people are purchasing those is decreasing. A lot of the early adopters already have their Teslas, the other manufacturers are starting to catch up. I know Mercedes is getting into the game. Hyundai's getting into the game. But again, like most technologies, you always have your early adopters who are willing to pay a premium for a product. That's why people paid over $100,000 for the original Tesla. And then you got a little bit more, less of the early adopters, but a lot of those people already have their EVs. Now, the nice thing for the EV community is that those will precipitously you know, go bad pretty quickly and they'll have to buy another EV or maybe they'll learn. But nevertheless, it'll be interesting to see as more and more of these companies are starting to pull back on these initiatives and decrease these initiatives, where are going to they put their investment dollars? I mean, Toyota, as well as BMW, historically have talked about hydrogen technologies. And there are a couple other alternatives I think are definitely worth investing and putting more research into. It'll be interesting to see at the end of the day, what's the most efficient thing. Remember a couple years ago, UPS had a huge article knowing how they're doing a whole fleet of natural gas engine for their little delivery vehicles. That is a huge initiative, and many people say that's one of the most efficient ways to use fossil fuels is good old natural gas in those cars. But 
It'll be interesting to see where Ford goes from here. Let me know what you have to say. It'll be fascinating to hear. But when it comes to my three cents, I'll stick to my good old Honda Civic Si with a three pedals and a stick shift with a torque combustion engine that'll last darn near probably a million miles in a quarter century. But that's just my three cents. Other interesting business news, you have Best Buy. Q3 earnings are in. They kind of helped the stock dip a little bit. Their Q4 outlook is not so good. Now, Best Buy was recently in the hot seat for discriminating against employees. They had an initiative where they hired a... I was going to say, what's a nice word to say? No, it's not a nice way to say morally vacuous, I suppose. But they hired a marketing or a human resources company. And if you want to become a Best Buy manager, you had three criterias. One, you had to work there for at least a year, which... I think that makes sense. The company has to make sure they're making an ROI on you, make sure you're invested. That makes sense. I agree with that. Two, you have to make sure you're an employee in good standing. That makes sense. You can't be showing up to work late, getting written up for disciplinary reasons. That makes sense. I think most people would agree with that. Now, the third reason, the most controversial one, was you had to be a specific race, including but not uh, limited to, I believe it was African American, Asian Pacific Islander, Hispanic. They actually listed out all the options except Caucasian. So if you're a Caucasian, you did not qualify for the management trainee program. Which, again, that's discrimination. So that was a big news article a couple weeks ago. And then it turned out they also discriminated based on apparel as well as knickknacks on her desk. So when I say that, I mean, in terms of the back office of Best Buys and the Geek Squad, there's actually pictures where... A man wanted to bring his Bible and he wanted to wear like a cross and have some religious materials at his cubicle. Again, this cubicle is behind the Best Buy. No one sees it. It's the back end of the offices or the back end of the facilities. And his management told him no. He could not have his religious materials. That being said, the whole office was colored, pun moderately intended, with rainbow pride flags and those other LGBT materials that many people will argue because of the strong belief system that those people hold that, that in itself could be interpreted as a religious materials. So Best Buy was again discriminating, saying, oh no, they can have those materials, but you cannot have your faith, what your belief system is, you're not allowed to have that in the office. So that was another point of backlash that led to some people to start to boycott Best Buy. Now, that being said, I don't know how much it really hurt their sales. We'll dive into that right now. And I never forget the one reason I went to Best Buy in the past 10 years. And the reason why I'll probably never go again is I had an issue where I have money monitors in front of me for my day job. And I'll say day job, it's actually more of a 105 hours a week job. But nevertheless, it's one of those instances where I have many monitors in front of me because I love to have one for you know email or CRM, usually LinkedIn or some type of research platform like that. And one of the cables went bad. So I thought, okay, I need a cable right now. Where can I go? All right, Elk Shire Store. Best Buy is still around somehow. I go to Best Buy. They didn't have an HDMI cable in stock, which, again, is my fault. I should have looked online first, perhaps. But the one point of your existence, if you're a brick and mortar these days, is to provide that immediate value where you can drive there and in minutes you get that cable. And it almost reminded me of Fry's in terms of towards the end of their demise when they were going out of business, Fry's Electronics. They had very little inventory. They weren't doing that great. And it was Best Buy. They didn't have an HDMI cable. It's nearly unfathomable. Their core product, and actually, truth be told, the biggest profit margins for Best Buy and those types of companies are the accessories. Very similar to when you go buy a smartphone. Traditionally, when it comes to those types of purchases, usually you have smaller margins on things like televisions, but 
Then they get you with the power strips, the HDMI cables, the surge protectors, the, next, the mounting kit, the mounting installation to a wall. They usually make most of their margin in the services as well as the accessories. Just like when you go buy phone, the phone case will have high margin as well. And Best Buy, it blew my mind. They didn't have an HDMI cable, but you know who did? Walmart. And I can't help but think when it comes to electronics, if you're in a pinch and you need like a staple and you're not buying a big bulk order, you're not a business ordering stuff, or even for small businesses, Walmart's pretty darn compelling because again, you can get your groceries. And granted, I'm not paid by Walmart yet. Maybe I'll be a sponsor someday. I'm kidding, probably. But it's one of those instances where they had what I needed. I just need that one cord, that one cable. And Best Buy didn't have it. And it to this day, that blows my mind that an electronic store did not have that one thing I needed. Now, before we dive into the Q3 actual fiscal numbers, we're going to pull up their stock really quick. Surprisingly enough, their stock market, the market cap's about $14.77 billion in value. My past five-year trend was actually up 8.51%. Right now, they're trading about $67.87 per share. Now, in the past year, they're down 15.4%. Year to date, they're down 15.6%. In the past six months, not terrible. They're down 3.48%. Past month, down about half percent. Past five days, down 1%. So again, it's not, because year to date, it's not detrimental. Don't get me wrong, 50% down. Again, I said 15. I'm trying to work on my enunciation. If you click subscribe, it may cure that. Perhaps. I'm not a doctor, but it can't hurt. So I'm saying. So the past year, they're down 15%, which again, that's not great, but it's also not detrimental. And their dividend yield is 5.42%. So they actually pay out dividends. So a little incentive. So that's a little bit of background of their stock. Now going to some of their Q3 results. And this is thanks to the OG. And I might age myself with this. This is from Yahoo Finance, which is still around. Specifically, this is from a reporter. Her name, her name is uh, Brooke De Palma. Ah, scratch that. She's a senior reporter. She's not just a reporter. They put that in the title. It must be important. Now, they said that net sales came in at $9.76 billion, however, that was lower than expected, $9.9 billion. They know that sales of appliance, consumer electronics, computing, and mobile phones all dropped, but the company saw strength in its entertainment products. International sales did a little bit better. That went down by only 1.9%. And that is pretty darn, that's some big dips. So adjusted earnings per share is $1.29 per share versus the $1.18 expected. And again, when it comes to the total U.S. sales, U.S. sales are down 7.3%. Appliances are down specifically 15.8%, which that's, a, that's not too good. I'm not sure about the margins on those. Although a good funny joke, if you're ever in the refrigeration section, and I think some of my veteran friends kind of like it. You ever wonder why the veterans saluted the refrigerator? It is because it was a General Electric. Haha, <laughs> military pun, kind of. It's also kind of sad because General Electric no longer actually manufactures that. It's just a licensing agreement. Another fun business fact. Now, they know that entertainment is actually up 20.6% versus the 5.67% expected. Consumer electronics are down negative 9.8%. Computing and mobile phones are down 8.3%. So that is not too good. And interestingly enough, it'll be interesting to see how the entertainment sales break down next year. Because they're sunsetting their program where they're carrying physical media. And if you care about, you know, actually owning something and you don't like censorship, physical media is a great way to combat that. 
because again, it's very hard for them to alter works of art or works of entertainment if you just have it on a CD or a VHS or eight millimeter tapes. Well, is that real? Nevertheless, you know what I'm saying, probably. Now, they noted that inventory for Q3 was 4% higher year over year, but the CFO Matt Bylunas said nearly 6 million in inventory receipts came in a few days later than expected last year, moving their numbers from Q3 to Q4. Therefore, inventory numbers are down 4%, excluding that factor. They also noted in terms of the real estate portfolio, it's closed 24 stores in the past year and shut down nearly 100 locations, or approximately 10% of their all locations in the past five years. So they're definitely shrinking their real estate presence, which again, they may just be, it may very well just be closing the underperforming stores, the stores in unsafe areas, <clears throat> San Francisco, but it isn't good when your main value add is a physical retail. I know Best Buy has an e-commerce like every company does these days, but again, the big value add is if you need electronics, you go right there. That being said, they didn't have the HDMI the one time I had to go there, but there's only instances where that's where the big value is of having a brick and mortar these days is immediate gratification or immediate fixing a problem. And the more they reduce that locations, what's the compelling reason? Let me know in the comments. What's the compelling reason to go to Best Buy online versus another e-commerce platform like Amazon or Walmart? There's a myriad of different competitors. I mean, all of a sudden the competition just explodes compared to the online versus a brick and mortar. Or if you go to like a strip mall or a group of stores, how many electronic stores are there? There's not that many. So let me know in the comments. Then ADHD question. Let me know if you have a Circuit City sign, as in a sign from a Circuit City building. I've been trying to find one for five years plus, and I still have not had any luck. And I do pay finder fees, and if you have it on you, I'll actually just pay to buy it myself. I'm always looking for cool pieces of business history, and truth be told, that was one of my favorite companies I'm actually trying to buy one of the out-of-print books about Circuit City, so you learn a little bit more. But let me know, do you think Best Buy, are they going to continue to shrink? They, I mean, they're also lowering their outlook for next year. It's one of those instances where Best Buy lowered its fiscal guidance for 12 months, ending in January 2004. Revenue for the year is now expected to come in between $43.1 billion and $43.7 billion compared to the prior guidance of $43.8 billion and $44.5 billion. Sales are expected to decline 6%. To 7.5% compared to the expected 45 to 6% decline previously expected. So, I mean, they're continuing to go down and decrease in sales. I'm not sure what could turn them around at this point. But again, let me know in the comments. It's been here. What you have to say. Other interesting business news. You have American Eagle stock has a little bit of a broken wing as it drops about 17% after their holiday forecast report. Now, this comes to us thanks to CNBC. And let's pull up the long-term trend of American Eagle stock, which I can't, I'm actually surprised they're still around. Truth be told, I think I was fortunate. I did, I was treated twice when I was a child. It's a very rare occurrence, but I actually did go to the mall. And I remember I was shopping and my mom did get me an American Eagle jacket. Truth be told, I should have worn that for the, for this segment because it is, yeah, it is in my memory box still. Hindsight's twenty twenty. Now, if you look at the long-term trend of American Eagle stock, five-year trend, they're down 14.46%. And as of the recording of this episode, they're trading at $16.72 per share. And market cap of $3.3 billion, dividend yield of 2.39%. 
In the past year, they are down, actually up 8.82%. Year to date, they're up 15%. Oh, hindsight's always 2020 with investing. Well, with many things in life, truth be told. In the past six months, they're up 41.89%. Jeez Louise. Now, in the past month, they're down 2.37%. And in the past five days, they're down about 15%. Again, with the, in that one day, they dropped about 17% thanks to their outlook for Q4. Now, specifically, we're going into American Eagles expects sales. And this is thanks to, again, CNBC by the reporter by the name of Gabrielle Fangro. And they noted that for the quarter, American Eagle expects sales to be in the High single digits ahead of the 3.4% sales growth analysis had expected, according to LSEG. However, it is expected that its operating income to be between 105 million and 115 million, which is mostly below the expectations of 114, according to Street Account. The forecast was dampened by an expected 20% uptick in selling and general administrative expenses, the company noted. Which I don't know if they're going to break it down into wages or taxes, but. That's a pretty big bump in expenses. 20% in administrative expenses and selling expenses. They had, the parallel retailer outperformed its, in its fiscal third quarter. However, here's how the company did compared to Wall Street anticipated. Earnings per share was came in at 49 cents compared to the 48 cents expected. The revenue was 1.3 billion compared to the 1.28 billion expected, which again is great news. That's what you always want to do is knock their expectations off, so to say, and overachieve. The company's reported net income for the three-month period that ended October 28th was $96.7 million, or $0.49 cents per share, compared to $81.3 million, or $0.42 cents per share, a year earlier. So some great sales year over year. They know that sales rose to $1.3 billion, up from 5% from $1.24 billion a year earlier. During the quarter, American Eagle's gross margin came in at 41.8%. Below the 42.1% that analysts had expected, according to Street Account. Which, again, is one of the reasons where I almost justify purchasing clothing. Granted, I'm one of those old souls where I think you just have to buy one or two suits and suit up and make it last forever. But it's also those, those instances where the profit margin on clothing is so ridiculously good. It's usually 50, 60, 70% for some of these luxury brands. And it's also one of those instances where high risk, high reward. A lot of people try to get into fashion. It is one of the most competitive industries out there. Very few entrepreneurs break in and really make a dent in the universe, as I would say. I think perhaps one of the most infamous entrepreneurs being Damon John creating FUBU, which created a billion dollar empire. It's a brilliant entrepreneur with that endeavor. It'll be interesting to see, but anecdotally speaking, I think Kendra Scott's probably one of the more recent entrepreneurs that we've seen a huge growth rate. Now, granted, granted, I'm not a big fashion guru. Of course, you can tell. I just pick the one good style, make it last forever. But nevertheless, it is a huge risk reward. But one of the rewards is if you do make it, you can make some pretty attractive margins. Now, they noted that for the full year, American Eagle is projecting a revenue to be up a single digits compared to the previous guidance of low single digits. Analysts had expected full year sales to grow around 2.6%, according to LSGG. The retailer tightened its forecast for full year operating income and expects it to be the range of $340 million to $350 million compared to the prior guidance of $325 million and $350 million, which is what analysts had expected according to Street Account. SG&A expenses were also expected to be up in the low digits a full year earlier. Now they also noted that 
Retailers have been on pins and needles ahead of the crucial holiday shopping season over concerns that demand will be tepid and muted commentary from American Eagle and Abercrombie & Fitch follow similar remarks from other retailers that recently reporting earnings. Again, they also noted other companies such as Best Buy and Lowe's saying that they believe there's a lot of unpredictability when it comes to the consumer, which unfortunately, it's not, it's not good, but I do agree with that sentiment because whether you're a business or a person or an individual, whatever you are right now, there's a lot of economic uncertainty. No one really knows what's going to happen. There's a lot of people with the speculation on the 2024 election, depending on who gets elected. Businesses might be regulated out of business. Your personal income taxes, that might be thrown a curveball. All of a sudden, you might have to pay more or less in income taxes. There's an unfathomable amount of uncertainty in the market right now, which is also why there's a lot of stock speculations, there's a lot of stocks going up and down. And even the housing market's been pretty dampened because of the high interest rate, which I was going to say, thank your government for, oh, our government, for creating that problem with printing more money than ever been printed before. And then we had to raise interest rates so that we didn't have hyperinflation, although we still had, but, and yet Janet Yellen still has a job. She's, uh, she's uh, in charge of the treasury, which is in parallel job security from the public sector. Performance is usually not correlated with the actual keeping the job, but nevertheless, all the uncertainty means less consumer spending because they're trying to keep their money and save it, which ironically might be their detriment because of inflation destroying what little savings they have. So it'll be interesting to see, are people going to go out and shop till they drop, as the youth might say? Black Friday is tomorrow, and anecdotally speaking, I don't know anyone actually is going to go to a brick and mortar. Personally, I'll just be working as usual. But I'm sure some people will go to some brick and mortars, but are they going to spend as much as they did last year or the year before? Or are they going to pull back dramatically and only buy the bare necessities or maybe buy fewer gifts for people for Christmas as well as the previous years where they go all out, as youth might say? It'd be fascinating to see what happens, but let me know in the comments, but even more fascinating to hear what your experiences are and what you have to say. Now, going over to the culture part of the podcast, you have Elon Musk to sue Media Matters. Now, Elon has been attacked left, right, pretty much every company is withdrawing their ads from Twitter as they accuse him for being anti-Semitic. Well, Twitter or X, 12 or 13 people, I believe, actually called the platform X, with the most utterly hypocritical, ironic, and ridiculous use case being IBM pulling their advertising dollars from Twitter or X because they're concerned that Elon may be, they claim, you know, anti-Semitic. Now, it is a dark, scary read, but if you're a bookworm like myself or a business nerd like myself, I can't recommend reading this book enough. It's called IBM and the Holocaust by Edwin Black. Now, IBM prolifically rose to flame when you had Watson create the company by combining a few companies together with the most valuable technology at the time being the tabulation machine, which did countries censuses. So they knew exactly the demographics of all the people in the countries. They also did the logistics and pretty much a lot of people contribute them to being the brain behind the war machine in World War II. They also sold weapons to the United States, so they won on both sides. But it's those instances where they were very, they increased their efficiencies and it is a dark, scary read. But it, And when the book came out, coincidentally, they just happened to donate a couple million dollars to the Holocaust Museum, though they did not admit any fault. So be, it is fascinating to see IBM of all companies withdraw their funding from Twitter or X. And again, it's IBM and the Holocaust by Edwin Black. It's on pretty much every book retailer. I think Barnes Noble probably has it. Amazon probably has it. And again, it's a lengthy read. It's a dark read. 
But again, when it comes to this situation, that was really one of the things that was the biggest curveball that I saw when I said, wait a minute, what's going on with that IBM now? But nevertheless, this is coming from Elon Musk. Now he's suing Media Matters and Media Matters, a lot of, let me pull them up on, on good old Wikipedia just to give you a little summary of that organization. I mean, I could tell you it was founded by someone who's very much politically against people on the right, and they usually are known for critiquing people on the right, but let's just do a quick summary. So it was founded in 2004 by David Brock, a former conservative journalist who had become a prominent Democrat Party political operative. He said the founding of the organization was to combat conservative journalism sector they had once been a part of, although some critics say he adopted the tactics in his part um, of his part for a new political side. It looks like they are a 501c3 nonprofit founded May 3rd, 2004. And to confirm a lot of conspiracy theories, they do they have received fundings from George Soros as well as many other high profile, I was going to say, pseudo celebrities in the Democrat Party. Let's just say the Koch brothers aren't making any donations to this organization anytime soon. And They've been known, in terms of my anecdotal experience of what I've seen on media, is they've been known for going after companies like the Daily Wire, which is a very fast conservative media company growing headquartered out of Nashville, Tennessee. And they're very much politically lopsided, so to say. People make fun of Fox News. Well, I think many people just realize that they're just diet CNN these days, so that's my three cents. But it's one of those instances where people thought Fox News is slanted. Media Matters is way, way more slanted. Now, Specifically, this is thanks to an article on Axe EOS, and Elon Musk is actually suing Media Matters for American uh, for defamation on Monday, early this week, after the left-leaning nonprofit released a report on running ads on X running next to pro-Nazi content, and that helped trigger the advertiser exodus. And this is, politically speaking and culturally speaking, a very common mechanism and tactic you've seen, and more often that, I see it done by people who are politically on the left, where They'll come across something they don't agree with or a product they don't like, and they'll actually call all the advertisers, such as with Tucker Carlson on Fox. One of the reasons why they didn't have every sponsor on the planet, there was many instances where they'd have a sponsor on the show. Well, media managers would go after that sponsor and say, hey, we're going to attack you if you don't withdraw your funding. We're going to release all this evidence on how Tucker's an evil, terrible person, and we're going to say in our articles, you're the one sponsoring him. So they're very effective at getting sponsors to withdraw their dollars of advertising for many people, predominantly in the middle and especially on the right. Now, the lawsuit was filed in the U.S. District Court for the Northern District of Texas, Fort Worth Division, and it alleged the organization's tactics were manipulative and deceptive. X alleged that Media Matters, quote, exploited the platform to have ads appear this way, which included excessive scrolling and curtailing its feed with fringe content. The overall effects on advertisers and users was to create false, misleading perception that these types of pairings were common, widespread, and alarming, unquote. What they were saying, ex-CEO Linda Yaccarino, she said, quote, if you, know, if you know me, I'm committed to the truth and its fairness. Here's the truth. Not a single authentic user on X saw IBM's Comcast or Oracle's ads next to the content in Media Matters article. Only two users saw Apple's ad next to the content, at least one of which was Media Matters. Data wins over manipulation or allegations. Don't be manipulated. Stand with X. Now, they also know that Texas Attorney General Ken Paxton said earlier this week that he is, quote, opening an investigation into media matters for potential fraudulent activity, unquote, 
noting Musk accusations of the organization manipulating data from X. Now, other people are claiming this is a frivolous lawsuit to bully X's critics into silence. Of course, Media Matters claims they stand behind its reports and look forward to winning in court. Let's see. Carson, who's the Media Matters president, said that his response, Musk is a bully who threatens meritless lawsuits and attempt to silence reporting that even he is confirmed to be accurate. So it'll be interesting to see who goes on top or who actually wins at the end of the day. But there are a lot of people throwing their support behind Elon. There's a lot of speculation that is fascinating that the whole, when everyone is against him, when I say everyone, I mean the mainstream media, a lot of the critics. When everyone is against someone, I can't but wonder, is this person doing something right? Is Why are they going after him all of a sudden? When Why do media managers allegedly just exclusively follow people and then complain that they saw the ads next to that stuff? If you follow someone, you shouldn't complain you see their content because you're making a choice to follow the person. So again, it will be interesting. And this could be a very, uh, actually it could be, I scratch that. I do believe this is a very important legal case because if Elon can actually, thankfully, maybe through discovery, show that they uh, actually show how much they've manipulated data and show how Media Matters has used it as a weapon against their enemies, I'm not sure if they'll stop the practice altogether, but it may at least kneecap media matters, which would be a good thing for free speech. I think many people would argue because again, they're all about decreasing the amount of free speech, not increasing it. Now, let me know in the comments, who do you think is going to win at the end of the day? Will it be Elon Musk and X or Twitter? Or do you think it'll be media matters? It'd be interesting to see at the end of the day, it'd be fascinating to hear what you have to say. Other interesting cultural news, you have Bud Light Kelsey Bowl gets less than 150 likes in one day, which is ridiculous and pathetic to say the least. Not to brag, but last time I did a tweet, I got at least three likes. And again, it's all about the sample size. Mine were quality over quantity. They were the best three likes of all time. Now, Bud Light is a huge national brand. They have 30 plus thousand people that follow them. And their tweet was, quote, hashtag Kelsey Bowl, which... Spoiler alert, I did do a little research. I don't believe it is named after a gal by the name of Kelsey. Probably, maybe. But nevertheless, this sports ball trophy, they also say, quote, it's now a Philly thing. And they had the emojis of a pair of beers and an eagle. An American eagle, by the way. No affiliation, or rather, the bald eagle, specifically. And, again, it got less than 150 likes in one day. And, of course, they did block a lot of the comments. I can't but wonder... They got 11,500 people saw it. How many of the comments are positive? One, two, three, maybe? Or will they achieve the rare occurrence of the Chris Christie effect, a phenomenon in which you actually, or a mathematical anomaly, you get zero positive responses from your original tweet, which actually happened on the show twice when we looked through all Chris Christie's responses from one of his tweets. No one had a positive response to him, which begs the question, what's his family and campaign staff doing Allegedly, he has a couple of friends as well, but zero? That is a mathematical anomaly, to say the least. Let's dive in and find out. First comment is from Alex Sasha. says, quote, Go Eagles fly, unquote. Now, that seems to be real. Did get any likes. Did get 100 views. Let's pull up. I mean, this, is, this seems suspicious. Someone's saying something popular, and, or rather someone's saying something 
positive about the light. What, what's this person about? Oh, it's a scam profile. Now this Mr. Alex Sasha has no profile picture except an A. No background picture on their profile. They have 207 followers. Not to brag, but I'm near 300 followers myself. Now, they also, all this person does, again, it's the same BS scam. They retweet for the hashtag at millions, which is one of those silly things where it's basically marketing and gambling combined. If you retweet their post, they, this company claims, oh yeah, we'll send $100 to the first to one person who retweets this and follows our account. And I'm scrolling, one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten, eleven, twelve. All this person does is retweet for that hashtag. And then they retweet for someone by the name of Pulte, who again is one of those people where they say, hey, if you retweet this, we, we're going to give three grand to someone random. Yeah, so this person, they may not be a robot, but they are mentally as vacuous as a robot. So let's say that doesn't count. Now, someone by the name of My Two Sons says, congratulations. They didn't get any likes from that comment. But if we look at their profile, under 100 users, or uh, they have 100 followers. And re all they repost is for free crap. What? Now this makes no sense. They say, I guess Best Buy technically, Bed Bath Beyond still does exist. They did a retweet for a free gift card to Bed Bath Beyond. I forgot they technically still exist. Overstock.com bought the intellectual property of the name. So the website is now just rebranded Overstock.com. So I guess it does make sense you could win a gift card to that. But again, it's a serial gift card person. Someone by the name of Big Pinky Ring says, quote, Woohoo. This person has 133 followers. And this person just reposts giveaways for, what is this, a Hallmark, Hallmark Channel stuff? Yeah. Again, another freebie chaser. Now, that one again got zero likes. So, someone else said, by the name of America said, time to celebrate, they got zero likes. Here we go. Here's some real ones. Someone by the name of John Jones says, congrats Mulvaney, unquote, which of course Dylan Mulvaney was their famous spokesperson who got $185,000 for like two pictures, which is a great deal for Dylan Mulvaney. That, I can't imagine making so much money. I mean, they say a picture is worth a thousand words. In that case, it's worth, well, technically it's worth negative $400,000, actually plus $400 million because Q2 alone, they lost that much money compared to the same period before thanks to the Dylan Mulvaney campaign. Now, that got eight likes. Someone by the name of John Green says, quote, Dylan says he, he likes Philly things, unquote. That got six likes. And there's a picture of Dylan Mulvaney holding a Bud Light can in a dress. And I don't know what you call it. little, I guess they're just big gloves that go up to your wrist. I would venture to say they're more appropriate for someone in a hazmat suit or someone working with hazardous materials than actual fashion statement. With the only exception being perhaps Audrey Hepburn a couple decades, well, near a century ago, but nevertheless, let's see here. Let's see. 
Midge, Midge did a poll, small sample size with only nine votes, but this poll said, quote, do you still support Bud Light decision to change their quote unquote Friday appearance by becoming gay beer? The two options being yes, because I'm gay. No, I do not support. And again, sample size is nine votes. Of the nine votes, 88.9% said, no, I do not support. Let's see here. And that got one like. A lot of people posting. I actually had the millions post on there. Wow, so that's not that's very few comments. I scrolled through it. It's only not even a whole page of comments. But if we go to the hidden ones, we get a couple more. Someone by the name of Pierre 4 PMs did a meme in which they have the Bud Light can photoshopped for the pejorative F word on the can light. And the caption is cut off your private part. That did get two likes before Bud Light chose to censor that. And he actually did it twice, and they censored both times, or rather, that was part of the hidden responses. So needless to say, as the youth might say, Bud Light was officially ratioed because, again, all the neutral or positive comments, a majority of them seem to be people who just retweet for freebies. Which, again, is what I kept warning people about the Bud Light sweepstakes, where, again, they're getting huge traffic in terms of hundreds of profiles were signing up for this, Oh yeah, sign me up and I could win a case of Bud Light, which incidentally enough is a great example of how you could be a winner and a loser at the same time. And is actually a fun question. What would you do if you won a case of Bud Light? With my favorite use case being using it as a form of ballast if you are a hot air balloonist. So you can actually have it to the side of your hot air balloon and to go higher, you can cut it off to decrease the weight of the balloon apparatus. It would fall to the ground. Now, safety hazard, if it were to fall and hit someone in the head, that would not be good, though it could arguably be better and less detrimental to their health than actually consuming the product. But nevertheless, it's a huge sweepstakes. They get hundreds of responses. But when we look at those responses on the show, we see that an overwhelming majority of them just retweet everything that's a freebie. I, it's not really building brand allegiance, not really building your customer base, which again is one of the precarious things when it comes to marketing. You have to be aware and have to be careful when it comes to freebies. Sometimes they, if you can directly correlate to business, it makes sense. Or when I say that, I mean, you can directly correlate to sales. Like a good example of that would be perhaps something like a free beer, a free Bud Light Yeti cooler. If you buy 12 cases of beer or something to that effect, where you can directly correlate it to sales and get a return on investment. With this, just giving out free cases of beer, again, it's very hard to track that ROI. And a lot of companies, interestingly enough, they do this. Perhaps one of the most confusing ones being automotive companies doing commercials on TV and YouTube. Unless you go to the dealership and they say, hey, Bob, I want to buy this vehicle because I saw that commercial. It's a little bit difficult to measure that ROI. Now, you can also look at more of these comments. They just really aren't positive at all. So I would say this is a, as usual, an epic fail for Bud Light's marketing campaign. Because again, most of the responses are not positive. It's not building their brand identity. It's not turning the sales trajectory around for the business. I mean, they're certainly putting out more content. And I'm not sure if they're hoping they can wear down the resistance and maybe the people who oppose Bud Light will just have better things to do or they just they just don't think it's worth their time to respond. But let me know in the comments, is there any single tweet or tweet campaign they could do to actually turn this situation around so they're not losing, on average, about 30% of their sales compared to the same fiscal period the year before and, and then about 26% of their sales by volume. With a specific Bud Light brand, that's usually about how much they're losing or how much their sales is decreasing week over week, 
with the other brands, specifically Budweiser being down around 10%, Michelob Ultra being down around 3.4 to 4%, and the other 47 brands more or less staying about the same sales volume and dollar amount. So let me know in the comments, it'll be fascinating to hear what you have to say. Now, going on to the political part of the podcast, you have Vivek Ramaswamy saying, quote, it's time to stop saying people of color, unquote, and that got 5.6 million views on Twitter, or as 12 people call it, on the X, which I was going to say, marketing is a precarious, difficult thing. I don't know. I don't know if I'll ever get used to saying, have you checked out X today? It, I know that was Elon's name for decades, and that's the brand he wants to build. But let me, let me know in the comments. Well, also another fascinating thing. If you click subscribe, it may fix my stuttering impairment or my speech ineptitudes. I'm not positive, but I'm just saying it's worth a shot. That's all I'm saying. Now, let me know, would you ever call it X in your day-to-day -day conversations, or do you still call it Twitter? Which, anecdotally speaking, when I'm with my friends, I'm hanging out with folks, we still call it Twitter. But that's just me. It'd be fascinating to hear what you have to say. Now, the whole tweet, and this, again, he got... Now it's actually up to 7 million views, actually at the time of this recording. And Vivek says, quote, specifically, it's time to stop saying people of color. It's meaningless to classify people by skin color. It needlessly pits whites against non-whites. In the USA, we are all Americans, period, unquote. And that did get 128,000 likes, which, if you're watching the full segment of the whole show episode today, the antithesis of Bud Light. They had 11,000 views and less than 150 likes. Vivek got 128,000 likes, which is, as you might say, going viral. Now, interestingly enough, I do actually see where he's coming from in terms of Americans are spending a lot of time, especially the past 10, 15 years, focusing on race and on things that I would argue people can't control and that they're born with, as opposed to, to their metrics as well as their merits and what they're actually doing. Interestingly enough, my family came from Cuba and we never really talked about race. It was one of those instances where we appreciate our culture and I love the stories hearing about, you know, some of the good experiences we had before communism destroyed Cuba and the leaders destroyed the country ridiculously. But it's one of those instances where my parents would always measure us by what we achieved and what we could control. And again, that's anecdotal experience. That's just my family. But it's one of those instances where when we go to the public school, they would especially focus on that, on things such as race. And um, part of me just thinks from a political perspective, it's a way that they can use to divide us. And I do think most, many Americans have more things in common than they think. And the pessimist in me kind of thinks politicians use divisive topics and polarization, polarizing topics to drive us apart and divide us. But that's just my three cents. It used to be two cents, but 40-year hyperinflation got me three cents. Nope. Still free to click the subscribe button down there or there, however your phone might be oriented. Now, going to the comments section, I suspect this is a more polarizing topic for some. So I think there might be a little bit of negative, but I'd, I want to say more than 50% positive. But let's dive in and find out. Villiance D says, quote, remove the race checkboxes, all job and school applications, unquote. Grammar be damned, that did get 3.4 thousand likes. Let's see here. The right guy says, quote, the only colors I care about are red, white, and blue, unquote, getting 1.4 thousand likes. Though I'm a little disappointed he did not have an American flag emoji in his profile name. One of the few times I would actually approve of such a thing, but nevertheless. 
scrolling down here. Colin Rugg says, quote, there's no rationalization. Well, again, subscribing could cure my stuttering and my speaking ineptitudes. I'm not a doctor, but it's worth a shot. That's all I'm saying. And if you compare it to the previous, you know, the earlier episodes when I first started the show, I think you'll see a modicum of improvement. Not a crazy amount, perhaps, but a little bit. Now, specifically, going again back to Colin Rugg, he says, quote, there is no rationalizing with people who think, quote, colored person is racist, unquote, but, quote, person of color, unquote, is not. That got 2.4 thousand likes. Someone by the name of Monetization Coach says, quote, agreed, no more groups, we the people, unquote, getting 306 likes. Which, again, is an ode to the good old founding documents of our country. All men are created equal. They didn't specify a race, religion. Every, all men are created equal. Which, I wish more Americans truly believed in. I hope we do get back to that point. Someone by the name of Jimbo Chewdip says, quote, People of substance, people of character, people of integrity, these are better qualifiers, unquote. I got 412 likes. Golden memes, though they get a B minus from our, or no, I'd say C minus from marketing because they responded with text and not a meme. So a little disappointed by that. But nevertheless, this alleged golden memes says, quote, Vivek dropping truth bombs at bedtime is the most American thing ever, unquote. I got 933 likes. Let's see here. Homocon New York City says, quote, I've been asking for a while why people stopped saying, quote, colored people, unquote, only to replace them with, quote, people of color, unquote, makes zero sense. That got 530 likes. Alec Lace says, quote, stop the pronoun nonsense as well. There's only two genders, unquote, got 669 likes. Let's see here. Way of the world says, quote, people of color is just a dumb way of saying non-whites, but race is real and it does matter, unquote. Got 530 likes and starting to see contrarian comments as some of them are not agreeing with Vivek. TJ Moe says, quote, that and there's exactly no difference between saying, quote, people of color and, quote, other people, but people pretend the latter is more uh, is the most offensive thing you could say. It's all nonsense, unquote got 441 likes. Someone by the name of Classical Grope says, quote, wrong. Let whites have their culture and civilization. Every other culture is taught to be tribal, unquote. That did get 248 likes. Let's see here. BIPOC, B-I-P-O-C, doing racism, says, quote, yes, just say blacks, unquote, 819, or sorry, 817 likes. Let's see here. Brooke Bits says, quote, buy, someone buy this man a beer, unquote, getting 61 likes. Let's try, let's see here. So it does look... Again, a couple of kind. Uh, someone has a meme, or rather a quote from Morgan Freeman, and it's a picture of Morgan Freeman with a quote, and it says, oh, Ethan, the original poster on Twitter, says, quote, a good quote on the subject, a quote within a quote, a little awkward, but nevertheless, 
Ethan Lieben responded with that picture of Morgan Freeman saying, quote, I'm going to stop calling you a white man and I'm going to ask you to stop calling me a black man, unquote. That got 101 likes. Rebecca, devoted reality believer, says, quote, It's so strange how they want to get rid of categories of men and women, yet are absolutely obsessed with upholding the increasingly diluted categories of race. Why not let race go? There's no reason to hold on to it, unquote. That got 101 likes. So interestingly enough, I thought it was going to be about 50-50. It was... The cup is too big. Oh, good old advertisements on the Twitter. Or, again, as 18 people call it, the X. But... Interestingly enough, it looks like an overwhelmingly positive response to Vivek's original post. Now, it'll be interesting to see, does this help him go up in the polls? Because, again, the polls, on average, he's still behind Nikki Haley, who is behind Ron DeSantis, who is really behind Donald Trump. And, again, there's a lot of unknown variables. People are wondering with the court systems and the states attempting to try to take Trump's name off the ballots, if he'll even be able to run or yet alone become the Republican nominee. There's a lot of uncertainty for the Republican nominee to attempt to become a U.S. president. But again, Vivek does need to keep standing out because, again, if he just blends in and does the traditional talking points, there's not, kind of like Tim Scott, there's not enough differentiators between you and the competition. There's not enough reason to listen, yet alone vote for them. So it'll be interesting to see as Vivek starts to increase these messages, will it resonate with enough prospective voters to get him back ahead of Nikki Haley in the polls? It'll be interesting to see, but as I always say, time shall tell. Other interesting political news, you have Nikki Haley critiquing TikTok for being basically Chinese spyware, but her daughter is overwhelmingly popular on the app. And this comes thanks to Nikki Haley on the Twitter, or again, as 12 people call it, on the X. And she is having an interview with Fox News. And she got about 131,000 views on this particular tweet. And she says before the video, quote, China uses TikTok to steal our information and push anti-American filth, unquote. Which, on its face value, I think a lot of people would agree with. Now, the only, method, the only real debate, or I think the bigger debate is, how do we address that issue? Do we straight up just ban the app because it's basically Chinese spyware, as well as just mentally assisting in the morally and mental vacuization of brains from children by giving them nonsense and filling their heads up with trash, as opposed to in other countries where it's actually used as a tool to make the kids smarter and patriotic. I think that's one of the biggest red flags, pun moderately intended because of the Chinese flag, of the threat of TikTok. It operates completely differently based on where it is at. In China, it makes the kids, they tell the kids it's cool to be a doctor or a scientist, to get into STEM. It tells, tells the kid, you know, now it's time to go to bed, it's getting late. It tells the kid, China's a great country. That's what the app is telling the Chinese children. The United States is quite the antithesis. In the United States, only until very, very recently, it never had an off button for kids in terms of there's no restrictions on the time usage. And it just pushed the uttermost nonsense crap out there and really just glorifying mental diseases. And their kids actually developing tics from this. So they had instances where you have a TikTok star or celebrity where they would have a nervous tic or they'd have like a little issue where, I forget the scientific term, but they had an instance where they would have a little tic. And these kids would develop it because they were watching it. It is hugely detrimental, especially for children. Now, I think her methodology of trying to fix the situation is perhaps where she loses a lot of traction. But let's go ahead and we'll play the clip. 
Well, I think what we need to do is we need to be honest with them. You know, you don't tell them this is what we're going to do and not explain why. The reason we want to ban TikTok, and yes, I think we need to ban it, is because it's an app that actually goes and, and has access to your contacts, to your financial information, to yeah. your camera, to your recorder, to everything. It's infiltration. We know that. It's also... Yeah, she not saying she's missing missing the point or missing the message or she's not accurate but it's just one of those issues where yes but that's pretty much every app ever which is why i actually would be in favor of some type of initiatives where the terms and conditions for an app or shoot any legislation at all should be able to fit on a single piece of paper and be of the language where the average person could interpret it is that ever going to become reality? I suspect not, but I think a lot of people would find benefit in that. I think a lot of people would agree with that type of idea. Well, if you look at the fact that the Bin Laden letter was just put on TikTok um, that he wrote a week after 9-11, and it justifies why they did what they did on 9-11 that's trying to influence young voters. I think young voters, when you tell them the truth, they will understand. There's a reason India banned TikTok. There's a reason Nepal, just this past week, banned TikTok, because they saw the social disruption that was happening by foreign actors. And I think we need to do that. What we want social media to do is be a force where they can have freedom of speech, but not have foreign intrusion in the process. And what we're seeing is a lot of foreign intrusion that's trying to cause distractions, divisions, and chaos in America. That's the part we're trying to stop. And so we want them to have, you know, the ability to do that. But we don't want it on dangerous apps. It's actually going to hurt them as opposed to allowing them to do what they want to do, which is communicate and get their views out. So, not her worst speech. A couple good points, maybe. I wonder, does the average person agree with her? Or is this the comic section? Will the comic section all adore her and give her accolades? Or will she achieve the rare phenomenon known as the Chris Christie effect? Which, not to brag, but I did coin that term. A mathematical phenomenon in which literally zero people agree with the original tweet. Which happened multiple times when we looked at Chris Christie's tweets where not a single person actually said something favorable to his original statement. Which begs the question, where's his family and his staff, his campaign staff, because supposedly they exist. And you would think they'd say something positive about him in those types of tweets. But nevertheless, fascinatingly enough, there's instances where there's not a single positive response. So let's dive in and find out. Someone by name of I Abject says, quote, She doesn't care about any of this until Americans use TikTok to say mean things about Israel, quote, or parentheses, her major donor, unquote. I got 289 likes. Words are words, says, quote, your daughter uses it. You're such a clown and a warmonger, unquote. I got 393 likes. Save Falstein says, quote, Indians, quote, you use X to push misinformation about Israel war propaganda for your own financial gain, unquote. I got 185 likes. See here, good old advertisements. Someone by the name of Nate says, quote, that's why we're going with Ron DeSantis, unquote. And it looks like is a picture of Joseph Stalin, a couple of the Chinese dictators, Karl Marx, and it has Nikki Haley on the end. That got 26 likes. And even more of a rare occurrence, we found a DeSantis fan in the wild on social media. There's some that speculate kind of like Bigfoot. They exist, but you never really documented the instance. I better make sure to take a screenshot right now. Let's see here. Scrolling through the other comments on this particular post from Nikki Haley. 
Someone by the name of Hasso Kool-Aid, I don't say he gets an F, but D minus for marketing. He neither has the emoji for the Kool-Aid man, which I don't know if that exists, but the profile picture is not of Mr. Kool-Aid. What a shame. Now this alleged Kool-Aid, perhaps he's a man who wears the costume, but they're less. Alleged Kool-Aid says, quote, there is currently no concrete evidence to suggest that China has been using TikTok as a platform to steal information. Security concerns have been raised, but it's essential to rely on credible information and data when discussing these issues. Stay informed and cautious about data privacy is a vital in the digital age. Now, interestingly enough, they got 50, 54 likes. All right. Interesting. Pretty much an antithesis or contrast to every IT article I've read about TikTok. Now, Implausible Deniability says, quote, We don't and won't support you telling us what social media we can and can't use. You are the worst candidate this round, even worse than like Pence. Stop pretending like you have a real campaign and go away. Maybe take a weekend with Liz Cheney, unquote. I got 24 likes. Jimmy Walker says, quote, you gave land to China, unquote, getting 43 likes. American Rebel says, quote, ironically, so does the U.S. government, unquote, getting 87 likes. Tyler Sitstill says, quote, every tech company does this, unquote, got 46 likes. Which, again, if she to make her speech more compelling, she should have said the big differentiators between the average tech companies and the ones that is TikTok, which is, again, it's owned by ByteDance, which is, again, the Chinese government is plugged into every private businesses over there. It's basically a direct relationship. The joke in IT is there's not even a firewall between the government and actual businesses over there. Firewall, you know, IT joke for the folks in IT watching the show. But, yeah, she should have been much more articulate in that regard. Someone by the name of Jim New says, quote, if you believe... Nimrata wants to ban TikTok because she cares about your privacy. You're part of the problem. Next, they'll come for X. You'll they'll say you're a misogynistic and anti-Semitic app. Unquote. Got 84 likes and sorry, coming to fruition. Now you have media matters attacking Elon Musk and most major businesses starting to withdraw their funding for advertisers on Twitter, claiming it's anti-Semitic. So perhaps a little bit of truth in that tweet from that gentleman. Let's see here. Jess isn't jaded did a picture of Vice Media and it is an article which they say TikTok says it's not the algorithm teens are just pro-Palestine unquote got 69 likes a lot of people saying Nikki Haley would be a great president for China so let's see here nah let's see a lot of people calling her by the other name so, as youth might say, she was viscerally ratioed as I, again, have only found one or two positive statements with most of these being con contrary to her and pretty much roasting her and half the comments saying, doesn't your daughter use it? I got nine likes. Scary Election Dyer says, yet your daughter still uses it. Your campaign is joking. Seven likes. A lot of similar comments. So again, will this help push her in the polls? No, I think Vivek was much more articulate when it comes to the TikTok debate, and he noted how he, we should be looking into all these IT companies, and specifically have a specific policy about data moving to China, and have that part of the terms and conditions, and that would not just put a band-aid on the issue, which again, don't get me wrong, TikTok is a huge, I believe is a national security risk, I think there's a lot of issues with that particular app, but a lot of companies that aren't TikTok also exfiltrate and send their data to China. 
famously a couple months ago, it was noted how Airbnb sends all their information to China. So if you rent a, a bedroom in Nebraska, China knows for reasons. Well, data is king. We do live in a data age. But again, I think a much more articulate way to address the issue, not just the symptom of the issue, would be his methodology where you talk about all the tech terms, applications, all these apps, terms of service. But let me know in the comments. It'd be interesting. Will this increase Nikki Haley in the polls for the Republican nominee, or will it just kind of keep her about, about the same? Be fascinating to hear what you have to say. Now, going over to the business blunder of the day, you have Toyota Finance find about $60 million for allegedly selling customers with overloaded loans, which, again, grammatically sounds terrible, but this is from NBC News. They know that Toyota Motor Credit will return $48 million to customers and pay $12 million in penalty for allegedly tricking customers into products that were hard to cancel. And this is absolutely the business blunder of the day, considering when you think of Toyota, traditionally you think of, I would argue, a quality products, a a business you can trust. I mean, their vehicles will last a quarter of a century and a million miles. It's as close to bulletproof you're going to get, with the exception of the Cybertruck, which is allegedly bulletproof. To be reliable, you'd have to do a powertrain swap, so actually rip out the electric engine and put in a good old reliable diesel engine or perhaps a Toyota engine in there. Should be a fun garage project, and if I had unlimited funds, I'd certainly do. But nevertheless, back to Toyota. They noted that specifically... Toyota Motor Credit were telling customers that if they wanted to cancel extra products bundled into their car loans, they should call a hotline that is, ha, ha, had allegedly been set up to frustrate them. Employees who answered the phone were told to continue promoting the products until the customer asked them to cancel three times, at which point the employee was supposed to stay, say that the only way to cancel was with a written request. Which again, that sounds almost as bad as Comcast, which is historically one of the most hated companies in America. They have these polls all the time where they actually ask consumers what company do they hate the most. And Comcast wins that many times. They're a ringer. If you were to place your bets on that, I'm not saying it's a sure thing, but the odds would be in your favor. And one of the issues is, very similarly, if you try to cancel some of the services, many consumers are frustrated that it's darn near impossible. And historically and famously and interestingly enough, this sales tactic, ridiculous enough, it works. They have, in their training at Comcast a couple years ago, if you were to call to try to cancel your subscription or your service at Comcast, they would ask you, would you like to upgrade for 20 bucks to something else? And some people actually said yes, which is astonishing, but that sales tactic did work for those folks. Now, in terms of this particular instance with Toyota Finance, they noted that more than 118,000 customers called the hotline from 2016 to 2021. And in addition to paying the fines and restitution, the agencies say that Toyota Motor Credit will also be required to make it easy for customers to cancel unwanted coverage, inform consumers that they can cancel the products online or in writing, and monitor dealers to make sure they don't add products to customer loans without the borrower's consent. The company is also going to be prohibited from tying employee compensation or performance metrics to consumer retention of bundled products, such as the ones issued in the case. The CFPD noted that these products averaged between $700 to $2,500 per loan. And the agency said that the company had knowingly given false information to ratings agencies, hurting the customer's credit scores by telling the reporting companies the consumers were missing their payments when they had actually returned the vehicle they had leased. So again, legally speaking, technically Toyota Motor Financial, 
very similar to General Motors, and you have General Motors Financial, they're a separate legal entity, and they have whole different infrastructures, whole different talent pools, whole different people. But at the end of the day, the brands are very much correlated, and of course, they do support each other since it makes sense if you're selling a vehicle to have a type of leasing or financial arm or division, or in this, these cases, separate companies, to facilitate that to make the sales easier as well as to increase your revenue. And traditionally, it was a great symbiotic relationship between the consumers and the lenders. Now, in this case, it's gonna be a huge bruise on their eye, or so to say, because again, a lot of people know and trust Toyota. They make great vehicles, usually great customer service. I mean, all the times you read about these articles where people are hitting 300,000 miles, 400,000 miles, a million miles on the odometer, more often than not, it's a Toyota. And to have a business practice that damages your reputation and just does not look, does not bode well, or doesn't even, just doesn't, it's a bad gut check, so to say, that's gotta be the business blunder of the day. Thank you everyone for taking the time to tune in. Again, have a happy Thanksgiving. Especially wanna thank you for taking the time to tune in today. Don't forget to take the time to subscribe. We're trying to get to 4,000 subscribers by the end of November. So if you click that button, I would greatly appreciate it. Also, any comments are greatly appreciated because I wanna make the channel better and better and your feedback is appreciated, even if it's harsh critique, because I argue that is how you grow the most. Lastly, don't forget to take the time to tell your family, tell your friends, tell your coworkers, heck, tell your enemies, tell anyone and everyone, just stay safe. Fight the good fight.